This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. A Master's in Business Administration, or MBA, was once seen as the golden ticket to advancement in the corporate world. However, with changing attitudes towards higher education and the financial squeeze of a global recession looming overhead, do MBAs still make economic sense? Joining me to discuss this and other trends in business education is Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean of INSEAD. Professor Mihov, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here again. Now, we last spoke to you in 2016 when INSEAD was given the top spot in the Financial Times Global MBA ranking. It was the first institution with a primary campus in Asia to top that list. Uh, Since then, you've maintained a top three position coming in at number two in this year's edition that was just released earlier this month. How important are rankings to you? Is this something that factors into how you shape programs at INSEAD? Well, I think that uh, rankings are important because they give you feedback uh, how you're doing relative to other schools in some key areas. Um, So, for example, we know that we're doing very well and we're very proud with our research ranking. Uh, We're very happy with the ranking on value for money. Uh, But I think that we need to do a little bit more work on um, percentage of female faculty relative to other schools. So that has become a target um, in our recruitment. And in fact, uh, if you look at INSEAD today, uh, we are recruiting nearly 50% women uh, year after year. And in the assistant professor level, outside of finance, uh, we have 50% female professors. But we still have a challenge among the older ones, I mean, among the full professor uh, category and so on. So to me, it is important because we look at, you know, we look at where our salaries are relative to the competition. We look at what we can improve. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, any ranking can be criticized. What I really like about Financial Times is that, to my knowledge, this is the only ranking in the world where the uh, newspaper actually audits the data. And every three years, they hire KPMG. KPMG comes to INSEAD, goes to all the other schools, and they they look at the data just to make sure that uh, the data uh, is properly uh, submitted. Mm. It's a good ranking. For us, uh, being number two is obviously a great honor. Since we topped the ranking in 2016, the average rank of INSEAD is the highest one among all the schools for this uh, seven years mm. uh, or eight years actually of ranking. So we're very happy with that. So rankings do play a role. It's something that you benchmark yourself on. Um, INSEAD marked the 60th anniversary just before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And I want to get into the impact of the pandemic in a little bit. But uh, taking a big picture look, can you walk me through the evolution of programs that INSEAD provides? I mean, is the global MBA still the biggest draw for students to come to your institution? So INSEAD started uh, in 1959 in Fontainebleau in France, and it pioneered the first MBA program that was uh, condensed into one year. Uh, Usually the MBAs, and still for many schools, the MBA programs are two years. 
we do teach about 85% of the material and maybe even more in one year. So it's not like it's a half MBA, it's a full MBA because we are accredited. So that was our start. And still, I would say that this is you know, our flagship program. Uh, we started with 50 students. Uh, today, we graduate between 850 and 1,000 MBAs every year. So we are one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, MBA supplier, at least among the ranked schools. Mm. So it is very important. Uh, INSEAD started, of course, also executive education in the 1960s. We actually started the first customized programs in executive education in 1970s. Today, these are multi-billion dollar businesses. And for us, in terms of revenues, degree programs, which is the MBA program plus uh, executive MBA and master in management and a couple of smaller ones, they, they represent about half of our revenue mm -hmm. and executive education is the other half. Okay. So INSEAD has grown in terms of MBAs, but also executive education. Today, I think that we are the second biggest provider of executive education in the world as well. Mm. Let's talk about your presence. Your primary campuses are in France and Singapore, as mentioned, but you also have a campus in Abu Dhabi, which opened in 2007. Now, when we last spoke in 2016, you had mentioned that uh, you weren't really looking to break into the U.S. market. Uh, but in 2020, you did open uh, a hub in San Francisco. So what was the rationale for that, uh, especially given that it was opened during the pandemic? Well, we did not expect that to happen. But uh, the idea was that... Um, First, there are many U.S. companies that are our clients, and they're very happy to come to Singapore uh, or France, but very often they will also want to have some modules in the U.S., and um, they want to have a little bit more of an academic environment because you can always have a class in the conference center or in a hotel. So that's why we, um, we did this. But also we noticed that there are a lot of European companies and Asian companies that want to understand a little bit better the Silicon Valley, the entrepreneurial ecosystem there. Uh, and that was another uh, point. And the last but not least, I think that we wanted to have a place for our growing alumni community in the US where you know we can organize events, they can come. But yeah, we, we opened it on the 27th of February and then the next week we had to close it. Not great timing there. Let's move on to the pandemic then. How much has the pandemic changed um, service delivery at INSEAD? You know, what would you say are the transitory and maybe long lasting effects um, of the pandemic? Um, I mean, one example off the top of my mind is, has online teaching for, become more prominent in your syllabus, for example? What, what changes have you seen? What actually the pandemic helped us understand is a bit surprising, something very surprising. So before the pandemic, everybody was talking, oh, look, you know, online education, uh, digital education, these ed tech companies will wipe out all business schools and universities and uh, so on. What the pandemic taught us is that we can indeed deliver online, but we realized very quickly that physical, in-person, uh, education is here to stay. We were hurt by the pandemic more than probably any other business school, because as I said, we're the second biggest provider of executive education. Executive education, you know, basically stopped and many companies 
said, look, you know, we don't want to do online. We offered online, virtual online delivery, and the ratings were very high. But people really understand that learning in person is, has a very different value. We know for sure now that as soon as the possibility of having on-campus classes uh, open, as soon as it happened, there were, you know, hundreds, thousands of people coming back for executive education, for classes and so on. And, you know, we can, we can talk a little bit about this maybe later on. But to me, this is a very important learning. We know that online is not going to replace in-person education anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, it will complement it. And that's what exactly is happening now. We managed, we actually started online education in 2014. Uh, we had a program with Microsoft that still continues for a thousand people at a time. So when the pandemic hit, uh, we were prepared. We had all the studios for shooting videos. Our faculty were trained how to do this. So we, we knew how to switch very quickly into this. So that helped definitely, but also, of course, a lot of other schools switched to online. But uh, today uh, we still deliver some online courses However, uh, especially for the customized programs, we see how companies just say, no, no, we want to be on campus. We want to put people together. We want to isolate them for like a week or two weeks and just work on, you know, the the development component Mm -hmm. uh, of this education. So it's, it is there, it is important, but it is a complement. It's not a substitute. So the pandemic, in a sense, validated what your business model or business approach in education is. Um, you mentioned that uh, there has been a demand for a return to classes. Um, but if I look at the 2020-2021 annual report, which is the latest publicly available report from INSEAD, revenues have been on a downward trend since 2019. 2021 income was actually lower than in 2020, which we we think of as the height of the pandemic, you know. So why has business been slow to return? Well, the, our reports are covering academic year. So the worst academic year was 2020-21 because uh, still there were a lot of lockdowns um, and it was almost a full academic year. While 2019-2020, basically the lockdowns were from March to August, uh, you know, so we had already half of more than half of the year was in you know full capacity. Mm. Today uh, we recovered in twenty one twenty two above the pandemic level, and for this year the projection is that we will reach about thirty million twenty five to thirty million euros above the pre pandemic level. Mm. So it's about ten percent of our revenues higher than what we expected. So. Uh, the recovery is full. Again, here in Asia in particular, even 21-22, it was difficult. I mean, China still was in lockdown until uh, a few weeks ago. So, But Europe uh, recovered very strongly and also the Middle East, uh, the U.S., Okay, so you're seeing you're, we're going to see a return to net income for INSEAD uh, in the coming, I suppose, annual report publication. I'm speaking to Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean of INSEAD. We'll have more from this conversation after the break. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile. 5G now with you. 
Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokdar, and today I'm speaking to Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean of INSEAD. Can we talk about your student demographic a little bit? Um, You know, Western institutions set up satellite campuses in other countries, particularly in emerging economies, to tap the demand for quality brand name education without the added expenses of having to live abroad. I mean, is it fair to assume for INSEAD then that uh, your Singapore campus has majority Asian students, um, Europeans and Americans go to Paris, you know, in 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 Abu Dhabi, it's going to be from the Middle East. Is that how um, the student population is broken down to? Uh, that's how we intended it to be when we opened the campus here in 2000, but that's not how it is. <laughs> in fact, especially before the pandemic, so still, you know, even in the current cohort, people were a little bit worried about travel restrictions, um, China and so on. So, but when you look before the pandemic, you come to our campus here in Singapore or you go to Fontainebleau, it's exactly the same um, population or the same distribution of nationalities. And maybe even a little bit more biased towards Europeans here and Asians in, in, in France, mm. because people want to experience, they want to use the, op- the opportunity given to them to experience other cultures and uh, the other campus. So this is, um, uh, you know, Today, maybe they'll be a bit more biased. But again, from Singapore, we have only about 30, 40 students a year, which will be staying at home, right? Um, Everybody else is coming from other countries in Asia, and many of them say, well, you know, actually Europe might be, uh, you know, easier in many ways. Um, I don't know whether you've heard, but in Singapore, the rental prices have gone, you know, up by just last year by 35%. So... For students, it becomes extremely expensive to come to Singapore. So mm. that's one of our concerns, you know, how to alleviate that. Mm. Coming back to what you said earlier about just um, the increase in demand, the uptick, uh, the return of revenues, we know that demand for business education is counter-cyclical. Applicants tend to rise in times of recession. But I'm wondering if this time around, because we are seeing this recession take some curious elements. In the U.S., for example, um, the economic downturn has been of a different nature because the labor market remains tight even as uh, inflation goes up. I mean, do you think that these kinds of factors will affect demand for MBAs and other business education? So basically, there are, I would say, three types of business education, three big markets. First is the undergraduate or pre-experience. We're not in the undergraduate market, but we have a master in management that is pre-experience. This market is completely acyclical. It does not move with the cycle. The students graduate from high school. They have to go and do their undergraduate degree. So it doesn't matter whether it's a recession or expansion. And the same thing for the pre-experience. So the master in management is a degree that follows right after undergraduate. So people see it as a uh, as a continuation. Uh, in fact, in Europe, since I think at 1998, uh, there is there was this Bologna agreement which split the five-year education in Europe into a three-year. Uh, bachelor's degree and a two-year master's. But after your bachelor's degree, after three years, you can go and do your master's somewhere else. So this, in Europe, it is almost everybody does the master's degree. Um, so this this market is a cyclical. Then there is the pro-cyclical business education, which is executive education. There, when the economy is doing well, companies actually send have the, the resources to send their executives for training. 
when there's a recession, they cut down some spending and very often training spending is uh, one of the victims of uh, this cost cutting. So this is a very pro-cyclical market. And then we have the MBA market, which is counter-cyclical indeed. So we have seen in the US, this data is publicly available. If you look at the GMAT, number of GMAT takers, you need this test in order to do an MBA. It has been going down in the last uh, two years because um, the market is so red hot, um, especially in the US and Western Europe. In Asia Pacific, there is a small increase in the number of GMAT takers, but in the US and Western Europe has gone down significantly. Mm. And of course, then it will affect the number of applications and so on. In many schools have experienced a drop in applications mm. in the last uh, few years. I mean, for us, uh, again, it is important uh, to, you know, from a business model perspective, but uh, but there is something more important, and that is the quality, uh, because the reputation of the school cannot be risked uh, just to you know meet the budgetary criteria. So the last class that started, instead of 500 students, we have 440 students. So we just want to make sure that everybody who comes to INSEAD is above a certain, certain threshold, mm-hmm. and uh, they can find good jobs, and the reputation of the INSEAD MBA remains intact. Would a consequence of smaller cohorts then just inevitably mean higher prices for your um, education programs? So, unfortunately, we're not a price setter, so we cannot set prices. We're a price taker because, you know, we look at the U.S. schools, we look at the value of the euro, and uh, we have to price it that is not exactly as a two-year MBA, but about 70 to 80% of a two-year MBA. Um, that's where we we price our program. And yeah, prices have been increasing. Uh, it's because of inflation in the US because pressures on wages have been very high. And uh, if we are to maintain high quality and higher from the same markets professors like, uh, you know, the top US schools, then we have to do this. It's um, And I think it is a problem for, for this um, hmm. market. I'm I'm wondering what you think about how these higher prices and coupled with factors like currency exchange, given that emerging markets have uh, really been hit by the strong U.S. dollar, um, is going to be increasingly expensive to opt for that Western name brand degree. Um, do you see INSEAD maybe losing your competitive edge to other Asian business schools that are also on the rise and offer an education at a fraction of the cost that you do? So... Um the first thing that we do is scholarships. So we're increasing the amounts of scholarships. Uh, the INSEAD, um, we have an endowed uh, fund for scholarships, but also we have current, uh, currently I'm, we're just fundraising for more scholarships, you know, to reduce the cost. And in some cases, we managed to reduce it by 50% or so. So it's a significant uh, reduction. Still, I think people have to select this very carefully because it, indeed, maybe at the end of the day, you know, our education might be $20,000 more expensive, but the return is is very high. Uh, comparing this, the salary three years after graduation before starting, uh, INSEAD is over 100%. So people double their salaries, mm. which is uh, the highest of any non-US school. 
And especially given that it's a one-year program, the opportunity cost is much lower than in a two-year program. On the yeah. balance of things, INSEAD does offer those benefits. Uh, and it's, uh, it's it, as you said earlier, you believe that it's a value-for-money um, program. You know, we are ranked very highly value-for-money. Uh, and I think that at the end of the day, we have the highest number of CEOs of companies outside the United States. And we have the highest number of unicorns outside the U.S. We have the highest number of companies uh, startups financed by VC companies outside the U.S. And even if you include U.S. schools, we're ranked number three or four uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. So so it, I think that there is a lot of value being created in the school, and especially because our network is just unbelievable. I mean, nobody has any network that compares to INSEAD in terms of breadth and depth. Okay, let's end the conversation on this question, um, Professor Mihov. Looking at um, the sustainability trends and just how much ESG and sustainability has really dominated talk in the corporate world, I'm wondering how you view this and how you're engineering your programs at INSEAD to deal with the new challenges that are coming up um, with sustainability. You said that um, you have a lot of CEOs that come from INSEAD, but uh, yeah. CEOs are also seen as, I guess, the problem when it comes to implementing those sustainability changes needed. Um, how are you influencing how that goes? I mean, to me, this is probably the most important question that very often is uh, pushed aside. Uh, and we started in 2014, actually, uh, a year after I started as a dean, we started talking about business as a force for good. And then in 2018, we opened the Hoffman Global Institute for Business and Society, which is uh, an institute where we look at sustainability, gender diversity, inequality, and all these issues that very often businesses ignore in the process of doing the operations. But now they have to stop doing this. They have to start internalizing and thinking about this because the public is not happy. And because we see climate change is, is happening, you know, in front of our eyes. So we started first in 2017, we changed the curriculum. Uh, we introduced business and society required courses. And we have about 20 electives on sustainability. We have sustainable finance, we have accounting, we have operations, we have tons of electives. But I felt with my dean of degree programs, we felt actually that, you know, this is not necessarily, we're not fulfilling our responsibility to the world because we have to make sure that every single student who gets out of INSEAD is well-versed on sustainability topics. So just three weeks ago, the faculty voted a change, another change in the curriculum where now every core course, strategy, operations, organizational behavior, every single core course has to have a module on sustainability. And the more important thing in my view, and the more effective thing is at the end, there is a required capstone course where we take a case about a company and we put in all the problems there, operational problems, strategy problems, and so on. And we build the case so that they can use what they have learned during the year, but with the perspective of sustainability. Mm. So it's a sustainability capstone. And again, because I've obviously I've talked to a lot of executives, I've talked to a lot of uh, employers out there. There is a lot of confusion. 
th there's still a lack of a good and clear framework of how we deal with all these. So that's what the Hoffman Institute is supposed to do. And that's how we're trying to introduce it in the, in the classroom as well. All right. So it's uh, definitely an ongoing evolution in that front. Uh, and we hope that uh, INSEAD will be planting those seeds um, in the future leaders that come. Uh, Professor Mihal, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking to Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean of INSEAD. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.